Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about God's closeness in our everyday lives. Thanks so much for being with me today. Today's episode is the third installment in my series called Think and Do, which is based on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Well, hey, a TV show that has really touched me is Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I'm not kidding. I'm not like a huge fan or anything. I've only seen maybe a few episodes in my entire life. But the few times I have watched it, I've been struck by this incredible sense of grace. That here are these people who, for whatever reason, had this rundown home that was cluttered and dirty and just not working for them at all. And then, by a gift of sheer grace or Hollywood production, whatever you want to say, this crew comes in, completely makes over their home gives them the home of their dreams, and it's just this beautiful picture to me of grace, and I think that's the reason it touches me so much, is that on some spiritual level, it's a metaphor for really what God has done for us in Christ. One of the clearest examples of this I find in the Bible is in Ephesians 2, where Paul writes these words, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I suppose you could call this passage Extreme Makeover, Human Edition, just as Ty Pennington and his crew come in to an old run-down house that's cluttered and dirty and in desperate need of renovations. Here we see God taking the divine initiative to rescue people, people like us, people who, according to verse 1 of this passage, were spiritually dead. And Paul paints a bleak picture of what that looked like, people who somewhat blindly followed the ways of this world people who more or less gave in to the cravings and desires of their flesh, their sinful nature, and people who followed the promptings of their spiritual enemy, the devil. In Paul's writings, the world, the flesh, and the devil present this kind of unholy trinity of forces that are at work in people's lives. And the combination of those three forces can be quite formidable, right? It can lead to lives wrecked by sin, by addiction, 
by selfishness. It can lead to our spiritual houses being pretty cluttered and messy and run down. And we're in need of an extreme makeover. And it's clear in this passage, isn't it, that the people Paul is writing to have experienced something like this. They've experienced an extreme makeover, a dramatic transformation in their being, not through their own efforts, but through the work of Christ. They've experienced Jesus coming into their lives and radically changing them. The Ephesians were Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, that is. And so there was a very clear dividing line in their lives from their lives before Christ, B.C. Maybe they worshipped some of the gods of the Roman or Greek pantheon. Maybe they were atheists. We don't really know. But there was a clearly a time in their lives when they did not know Christ. These were unlike Jewish Christians who already worshipped the living God and then came to accept Jesus as the Messiah, where it was more of a, you might say, a smoother transition, still dramatic nonetheless. But these were people who really had no knowledge of the living God until Paul or someone else came and shared it with them. So there's a dramatic conversion, a dramatic shift from B.C. before Christ to A.D., just as there is in human history. A.D. is Anno Domini, right? The year of our Lord, the period of God's rule and reign. And a lot of us have stories like this, right, where there's a dramatic shift from before Christ to the year of our Lord in in our personal lives, where God has come and met us in powerful ways and changed us and begun to cause this transformation in our lives. And we can look back at our timeline and see this kind of B.C.A.D. transition. And of course, that's not everyone's story. Some people report a story of always having grown up in the church or had believing parents and never really remembering a time in their lives when they didn't believe or didn't know Jesus. But the Ephesians were not that. The Ephesians clearly had a pre-Christian experience, a life before Christ, that Paul outlines, again, in very bleak terms in verses 1 through 3. But beginning in verse 4, we see this kind of pivot where everything changes. And the writer is very clear. It's not anything to do with the Ephesians and how great they were and how lovable they were and how awesome they were. It is all God. It is God's mercy, his grace, his love, his kindness, all words that appear here in these verses. Beautiful picture of a God who is rich in all of those qualities, a God who loves us so much that he moves in our lives to make an extreme makeover, to change us. And it is his doing. It's his work. It's not anything that we earn or accomplish through our own human striving. And these 10 verses really form a very tight summary of the entire sweep of Christian theology and what it's all about and what God has really done for us in Christ. It's a very beautiful summary of the entire message of the Bible, really. A few observations about verses 4 through 10. Verse 6 really grabs me. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you notice the tense of those verbs there? Raised, seated, past tense. 
And that's so odd to me because those are words we think of as being future tense, right? That one day when I die, God is going to raise me up into heaven and seat me in the heavenly realms with Christ. But that's not what this says. It says that in some way, this amazing thing has already happened. That even though I'm down here on earth in my body, living my life, that somehow in the spiritual realm, on the spiritual plane, it's already happened. Because I am somehow located mysteriously in Christ. And that's a little phrase in the New Testament that occurs over and over again, in Christ, in Christ. We are in Christ And it's so important to understand as believers because so often we focus and think about Christ being in us, which is also true, by the way. But you will also see many, many references to us being in Christ, that we are in some way located in him spiritually, that we are where he is. And of course, he is seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. And if we are in him, then where are we? Well, we're in the same place. So what has happened to Christ in some strange and unexplainable way has also happened to us. We are in Christ. We are raised with him, seated with him in the heavenly realms. I don't know what that verse does for you, but it gives me just a ton of security. When I think about all that's happened over the last year during the pandemic and how anxious and insecure I've felt at times, and just what a crazy time we're in right now. When I read verses like this, and I remember what is actually true about me, what is real, whether I fully understand it or not, it gives me a lot more security. It gives me an anchor in a lot of the uncertainty of today. It it moves me to a sense of wonder and hope and awe over who God is and what he has done for me in Christ. Again, not through anything that I've done or any merit on my part, anything that I deserve. It's all a sheer gift of his rich love and mercy and grace and kindness. It's God. And Paul goes to great lengths here in these verses to communicate to his readers that it is by grace you have been saved. This is not from yourselves. There is no place to boast because it's not anything that you did. It's the gift of God, Paul says. And so there's no place for boasting, no place for taking credit for any of this because it's all God. And I think the reason why Paul here emphasizes this point so many times is it's just so easy for us as human beings to default to religion. We slip into this mode of thinking that Our standing with God is something that we earn through our moral or spiritual performance. And Paul just has to hammer this point home again and again and again, that this is God's doing. This is God's deal. It's something he's done. His plan to rescue us by sending Jesus was a sheer gift of grace and love and kindness on his part. We didn't earn it. And the only mention of our works in this passage is at the very end, verses 9 and 10, where Paul talks about works and how the good works that we do are really just a response to what God has done for us in Christ. And verse 10 expresses this truth with a beautiful wordplay, how we are created to be God's handiwork. And because we're God's handiwork, we do works. Bible scholar Andrew Lincoln 
succinctly expresses this point by saying, salvation is not by works, it is for works. It's not by works, it's for works. People are not saved by doing good deeds, but people who are saved do good deeds as a response to the great love and mercy they have been shown. I want to briefly return to the wordplay in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. The word there, handiwork, in the Greek is literally poema, which sounds a lot like our English word, poem. The idea there is we are God's work of art, God's masterpiece, God's creative genius, if you will. We're not just a part coming off an assembly line in a factory, but that we collectively, we the church, we plurally are God's handiwork. It's something beautiful that he's crafted through his work, through his creativity and thought and planning and love. We are God's handiwork, and as his handiwork, we do his works, the works he is prepared for us in advance to walk in. I love the wordplay there. Well, I hope that this passage has encouraged you as much as it has me, that it gives you a sense of security and even wonder and awe in the goodness of God in these uncertain times. It may not be the flashy, extreme makeover that we see on the TV show, right? Because a lot of what Paul describes here is is invisible. We don't really see or experience being seated and raised with Christ in the heavenly realms. But nonetheless, it's true. And the makeover that Christ brings in our lives doesn't necessarily mean that every aspect of our lives immediately falls into line with his values and his ways. We know all too well uh, the painful kind of slowness that sometimes takes place in our lives as we begin to be more and more transformed into the image of Christ. It takes time. So it's not this one-and-done extreme makeover. It's a process. But nonetheless, there's life change. There's growth. Good things are happening in us because of the good work of Christ, not through our own efforts and striving. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.